had an interesting moment yesterday. I was driving and listening to K Earth 101, the oldie station, and the person called in and, and gave a request for TLC's waterfall. And that made me feel a lot of things. <laughs> First, very old. Um, it also made me reflect on the career of TLC, and I, I looked on my Spotify. What do you think the most popular TLC song is? I, no Scrubs is the answer, because we don't want no scrubs. Um, but uh, I, I think it was just a very odd thing. It was a, a Saturday uh, evening, just driving and listening, and it was just, just a very quaint moment. Like, people still do this? Like, they call in to a radio, it's like, like, why? I mean, you have the ability to just play it. I mean, hopefully you maybe have a streaming service or you could, you know, watch the music video uh, on, on YouTube. You could pull it up immediately. It's just very interesting. This is what you are choosing to do with your Saturday uh, evening. Um, and I thought that was interesting. This is the world that we increasingly live in, one that is catered more and more to our own tastes and the things that we want. We can listen to whatever music we want to at whatever time we want to. It used to be that you sometimes have to li- had to listen to commercials to be able to listen to it, but now you can just you know pay a little bit for a streaming service and you can listen to exactly what you want. Only the hits. You don't need to listen to the whole album unless you like really, really want to. And that's how we live. And in, in a world like that, it's hard, I think, to live out what the church calls us to, which is self-denial, forgiveness, humbling ourselves, sometimes experiencing discord and, and issues and differences of opinion and being hurt and choosing then to like, go out of your way. As Chen said so beautifully today, you can't root evil out of the world because it's in our hearts. Like it's not like only out there. It's not the, the problems that everyone else It's like it's in our hearts. Like these things need to be rooted out. This morning, I wanted to preach a, a, a sermon on something that I've, I've been reading. I've just been doing some reading personally uh, in the book of Romans. And I was told when I was in grad school, don't preach an entire series on the book of Romans until you've preached for 15 years because you won't understand it. Um, so I'm about 13 years, so I can't do the whole series yet. But I can give you, give you just a little glimpse of, of what Romans uh, is about. And Romans chapter 1 versus Romans chapter 11 uh, people argue is some of the most important words written throughout human history because Paul lays out from a very historical perspective like your identity and my identity in Christ and what that means. And it's very theologically profound and rich and it's the part that I can't preach for another two years yet. So just FYI, uh, that, that's coming. But they say, people say this is like perhaps the most influential letter that has ever been written. It's a letter that was written 2,000 years ago and like we still read it, and it's very important and has, has done a lot of positive things uh, for human history. I think about a letter that I wrote to myself in 11th grade. Our English teacher gave us the project to write a letter to yourself, and she would mail it to you 10 years later, and she did. And it was extremely embarrassing to read this letter because I was super convinced that this girl I had been dating, it was all going to work out. Um, spoiler alert, it didn't. And uh, I just, it was very embarrassing to read this letter just 10 years later. So how is it, like, how profound? is that we're still reading a letter that has changed human history. And Paul writes, again, about the the, the human condition, what it means to be loved by God in in these chapters, Romans chapter 1 through Romans chapter 11. And there's just all of this stuff to unpack and think about. And then he, he turns it over into Romans chapter 12 and says, 
Romans chapter 12, verse 1, therefore, and when there is that word therefore, he's making an argument. They tell you in preaching school, you want to know what the therefore is therefore. So he's making this argument, because I have said all this stuff, all these things about your identity, this then is your response. I've given you all of these things and, and I've wanted you to think about what your identity is. And so, like, this is your response. So I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing God. This is your true and proper worship. So because of who you are in Christ, because of the grace that God has given you, like you all are supposed to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is what it means to be called by God. This is what it means to be followers of Jesus. Offer yourselves, offer all of who you are as a living sacrifice. Because of who you are in Jesus, this is the calling that you have on your life. And this is something that should make all of us think, whether you're just new to this faith thing and you're just thinking about God for the first time or if you've been at it for a while, this reminder is so important that this is who we are called to be. Your identity in Christ is such that then you are called to offer your bodies, to offer all of who you are to God, to turn that over. When was the last time you did that? Because I think that would change a lot for us, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that change something significant in your life? As you think about a conflict that you're having with, with a roommate or a friend or a coworker, or you're thinking about what it is that you're called to do with your life, if you said, okay, this, this is going to be the lens through which I see this issue or, or this problem or somebody in our church, like if I choose to not just think of it from like my own issues or, or my own thoughts about this, if I choose instead to say, God, I'm just going to give this over to you and I'm going to let you lead, that would change everything, wouldn't it? One of the problems with our world today is there are what we would call conservative Christians and progressive Christians. And neither one of, of the groups, I think, has it all right. And neither one of the groups, I think, actually is, is living out God's call because either one has an adjective before the word Christian. Like, we're all trying to follow Christ. Like, that, that's the central thing. And that's what we're called to do. And Paul says, offer everything that you have over to God and give that up and allow God to lead you. So when was the last time that happened? There's a, a famous picture from a very tragic scene. Here it is. Where in Little Rock Central High School, uh, they had had, after the Brown versus Board of Education decision, three years to um, integrate the school. And so they waited basically until the very last minute for this to happen. And this is a 15-year-old young woman, Elizabeth Eckford, who was walking into school. And the woman behind her, the white woman, is named Hazel Bryan. And Hazel, you can just see, like, the vitriol that comes out of this picture. It was in 1957, and truly... Like what is most disturbing to me about this picture is she was doing this out of Christian conviction. She believed that what she was doing was, was right because integrating groups of people isn't God's plan or design. 
And what's truly terrifying to me about this picture is like, the question that I think we all need to have, where are the areas in all of our hearts where we have some evil or some anger that, you know, maybe 20, 30 years down the line, somebody's going to go, man, you had it all wrong. I am thankful that this isn't the end of, of this story. Hazel Bryant ended up being convinced that she was wrong in this picture. And she spent a lot of the later years in her life, she and Elizabeth Eckford are both still alive. Today, she spent a lot of the later half of her life fighting for racial justice, specifically in Little Rock and further integration of schools because she came to believe that she needed to be part of the solution. She came to realize that it was a problem. And I think for all of us, we need to ask the question, what is the things that we need to be convicted of and convinced of enough to make a change? Enough to say, perhaps, like, I, I once was, was this way, but now, you know, I, I've come to a different perspective. I've come to change my belief because I've submitted all this stuff over to God. I've given this over to God and said, God, I, I need you. I need your spirit to lead me here. So a couple different scriptures that come up as Paul continues to write uh, in Romans. He says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be, I'll get to that one in just a second. Uh, do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Romans 12, 5 and 6. So in Christ, though we many form one body and each member belongs to all the others, we have different gifts according to the grace given uh, to each of us. Romans 12, 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. And, and finally, Romans 12, 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. So Paul continues writing some of the things that Jesus shared. Like, this is how you're supposed to be. Don't pay back evil for evil, but instead choose to do what is right. And he is writing to a community of people who are trying to live this out, a community of people that sometimes are probably annoying each other and sometimes like, you need to have grace for and sometimes you, you need to understand that there is evil, perhaps another person, you've been wrong, but you need to choose to forgive. Don't continue that cycle. Paul writes this to a house church of people, likely, who are trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus. And he's trying to continue to say, turn your eyes to God. Again, offer everything that you have as a living sacrifice. And this then is what it looks like. It's lived out in community. It isn't just something that you can do and leave to the side and like practice your faith and not enter in. Think about the ministry of Jesus. Jesus is showing us that Christianity at, at its core isn't about just showing up to uh, the right place um, in an hour of time or, or watching online at an hour of time. Christianity at its core is a relationship. So Jesus goes up to a tax collector who was the worst of the worst named Matthew and says, follow me. And everyone reading that in the first century would have gasped. Like, no way. You wouldn't want, that is not the first. That is the last person. If you're trying to start a movement, like this is the last person that you should pick because that's just a horrible choice. But Jesus says to Matthew, follow me. 
and he hangs out with tax collectors and, and prostitutes and, and sinners, th- those who others would whisper about him and, and say, oh, he, he, he must be a drunkard because of the kind of people that he's spending time with. And he says at times really hard things to religious people, but he's also willing to welcome them too. I think of Nicodemus who comes to Jesus at night because he's a little bit worried about what it might look like. And Jesus has a conversation with him about being born again. Jesus teaches us that Christianity is about choosing relationship. And Paul says in Romans, this is what it looks like. Choose love over and over and over again. Allow God to lead you. That is what you're called to do. Don't choose evil, but end those cycles there's a Christian writer named Sky Jathani who has a really cool name. And uh, he, he said this, everyone thinks they're the hero in their own story, even the villains. Believing we're right is never evidence that we are right. So listen to those you disagree with, consider your fallibility, and remember that in someone's story, you're definitely the villain. And I've found that true in my life. Think of the famous... Batman quote that you either die the hero or live long enough to become the villain. That you and I are going to make mistakes. We're going to hurt people. And sometimes in those moments, we're tempted to to shy away perhaps from that person, but we are are called to continue to live among people and continue uh, to choose love, to continue to allow God uh, to lead us because that's the way we're called to live. Don't do it just like everybody else does it. I think of the the profound words of Jesus as he's teaching about leaving an offering. And he says, if you leave an offering or you're in the process of leaving an offering at the temple and you remember you have beef with someone back in your hometown, stop it and go back home and fix that before you leave it. As a pastor, I would say, go ahead and leave the money, but then go fix it. No. <laughs> but wait a minute, what, what an unbelievable, and it's an unbelievable thing for us to hear in, in our time and in our context, but this is the temple. It was a, a journey. Perhaps some of these individuals would have like maybe like walked and, and gotten to that place. It would have taken you know, two days to get to this temple, and they're about to offer this sacrifice, and Jesus says, oh, you've taken this two-day journey, and if you are about to, to do the offering and, and do the sacrifice and you remember that there's something that's going on, stop and walk two days back and then come and do it. I mean, for us, we have a little bit easier ability. You know, you could just text somebody, you know. You could like, just FYI, let's FYI. But that, that's what Jesus is trying to teach. Like you, you just can't like, go through these motions and not allow God to change your heart. You can't just, just continue to do this stuff and not allow God to, to change. It just doesn't matter. You can put however much you want in the offering tray or whatever, but it doesn't matter if it doesn't like, actually have some like, influence on how you treat people and how you love people. The word in the Old Testament 
uh, that is translated worship uh, that is used 170 times is the word shaka. So go ahead and say that with me, shaka. You, you now know Hebrew. And um, the, the word um, is from the meaning of, of the word for bow down. Like that's what the root origin of worship is. And so, so to say worship in the Old Testament is literally to, to bow down. When you're doing this, it's hard to be selfish, right? <laughs> and when, when you're doing this at, at church, sorry for the camera people trying to scramble right now, but when, when, you're, when you're doing this, like if you actually do this during worship, it's hard for you to hold on to all the stuff you had coming in, right? And if you're actually like in this, this position, like it... it leads you to a certain kind of life and it leads you to say like yeah I'm not going to be the center of this like I'm not the center of, of this this story and God like I, I understand that you have a, a certain place and I, I don't deserve to be at this place God I humble myself I lay like my desires, my heart, these things, I lay that before you. I think one of the issues that, that we have, I'm going to let my knees take a break. One of the issues that we have in our world today is we, we live a, a very self-centered existence where we're able to kind of promote ourselves and think about the things that we want to think about and only stay in these echo chambers uh, where we happen to just kind of continue uh, to be in that space. And the question that I ask for all of us is how's that working out? Like we get great benefit, I think, of, of coming together and just laying down all of our stuff, laying down our hearts and saying, God, I trust that, that you're there. And I can't carry all this stuff on my own. And there's some of this stuff that is so hard for me to carry that I'm, I'm just going to give it over to you and I'm going to trust you to work in my heart. I'm going to trust you to change my heart. And I'm not saying that you have to start bowing down at worship, but I hope that in your heart you are. Because that's the origin of this word. And I think specifically uh, in our denomination, the Church of Christ denomination, which we are a part of and come out of, is uh, from the Restoration Movement. And some of the Restoration Movement was, at its core, very suspicious of religious activity and, and enthusiasm. And I understand at times that there's times when people are, are dancing around and it's not of God. I totally understand that and, and would, would agree with that. But I think oftentimes our denomination goes too far in the other way where it can be kind of, okay, we just want to be stoic. I mean, in the church, church that I grew up at, we were not allowed to clap during service. And that's still a good rule for me because I really can't clap on rhythm. Uh, but like, this idea of like, basically the church being like, the, okay, are you having too much fun during worship police? I think still is a little bit of a part of, of our DNA and it's important for us at times. Again, you don't have to do anything with your body during worship. You don't have to do it. But the question I would ask you and myself is, are you doing it with your heart though? Like, are you bowing before God with your heart and allowing 
God to, to really change, just submitting like your heart and your ideas, your thoughts to Scott. I, I want you to, to work in me. There's things that I want to hold on to that I just I can't carry anymore. God, I, I just I want to allow you to work through me. So as I mentioned, our denomination came out of the restoration movement, which started in the 1800s, and I kind of went across America from that time, and one of the influential leaders in that movement was named Alexander Campbell, and in 1834, a guy named John Rogers was writing to Alexander Campbell, and he said this, many of us, in running away from the extreme of enthusiasm, so they wanted to be careful and not just be a really enthusiastic group, um, have, on the other hand, passed the temperate zone and gone for the frozen regions. There is, in too many churches, a cold-hearted, lifeless formality, formality that freezes the energies of God. And I think that can happen if your church is like dancing around in the aisles and if your church is really formal. I think that God's energies can be frozen on either way. But this is something that happens in your heart or it doesn't. And you need to sometimes just be willing to say, God, I, I, I'm, I'm bowing down to you, perhaps not literally, but figuratively. I, I'm saying, God, I, I couldn't do this without you. And it is better for, for me, for my own heart, that, that you would like, manage my life than for my own feelings and my own desires to do it. God, I turn this over so I won't freeze your energies anymore. Because I trust that what you have for me is better than my own thoughts and my own ideas. Because there's stuff that I'm, that I'm holding on to that I just don't need to anymore. So Paul writes 11 chapters and then says, okay, because of who you are in Christ and all these things that I've just written you, every single day I ask you all as a community to offer all of who you are as a living sacrifice. This is worship. It's worship to bring all, all of who you are and say, God, who would you have me to be right after service? And then on Monday and on Tuesday, who would you have me to be? What do I need to let go of? What do I need to give up? And Paul then continues in Romans 13 and says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law the commandments you shall not commit adultery you shall not commit murder you shall not steal you shall not covet and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command love your neighbor as yourself love does no harm to neighbor therefore love is the fulfillment of the law Paul says, let no debt remain outstanding, just as Jesus said. So if you are giving your offering at the temple and you remember that you have some beef with somebody, like stop what you're doing right there and submit that over to Jesus' work and reign. Recognize that it's worship just to put your heart before God.
And again, you can do that with dancing in the aisles or not. But it's a question that I think we all have to ask ourselves. When was the last time you were changed? When was the last time that you said, you know what, I, I, I want to hold on to this thing. I have this debt that is outstanding from this person and they owe me or, or whatever. I have, I have this issue. Like when is the last time that you just came before God, laid down everything and said, I just offer my whole life as a sacrifice to you? Because this is my act of worship. I hope in prayer for all of us is that we would just think and pray this week about whatever action is needed. Because I think all of us, if we were to have coffee and have a conversation, there'd probably be some relationship or something that comes to mind that we would think, yeah, I, I need to take action on that. Or I let that thing go a little bit too long or I, I just, I need to let go of that. Because I know for me, I need my heart changed and led by God constantly. So we're going to stand and, and worship right now. And you can clap maybe if you um, are better at it than me. But I hope that, that for all of us, um, as we worship together now, we are reminded and we think about the central ethic of the gospel being love. Let no debt remain outstanding except the debt that we all have to continue loving each other.